Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast with Kay Riga. Today, we're going to talk about the unfolding Menendez scandal, although I'm not even, it's in a way, I'm not even sure to call it a scandal exactly, because when I think of a scandal, it's um, it, it's about something unfolding, something surprising, right? A scandal, like, oh my God, uh, Kate was revealed to have a secret menagerie of ferrets in her home. <laughs> That's against DC law, right? And it's a huge scandal. Like, why is why is Kate doing this, right? So it's like something something bad and a surprise and all this kind of stuff. Um, but with Menendez, it's sort of like we it's 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 kind of not a surprise, right? Um, and kind of like we there's not even there doesn't even seem to be a huge amount of appetite to find out the next detail. It's all just about who's going to ask him to resign and stuff. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about uh, what is the latest unfolding in Congress about this seemingly inevitable shutdown. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about we're going to talk about miscellaneous things. We're also going to talk about there's a debate tonight, um, a kind of the, the the second of these uh, you know kind of uncanny valley of Republican debates, right? Because, because there's nothing actually happening. There's not really a, 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 a nomination election. There's not a primary process. It's not really happening. I was almost thinking about, um, you know, I saw a lot of headlines, uh, you know, in the last couple of days saying it's do or die for DeSantis. This is, this is, you know, it's do or die. It's, it's now or never, but like, he's already dead. Right. So like, is it really do or die? I mean, his, his campaign is, is like collapsed and it's collapsed in a primary process that isn't even happening. Like when I, I, I almost wonder if this is going to, this reality is going to kind of push through into this debate tonight. Like, it's almost like when I think about it, it's almost like you know, uh, people are on a family vacation and they get to Disney World and and slowly and then suddenly people realize, wait a second, there are no rides. We paid all this money to go. Where are the rides? Where are the roller coasters? Where are the stuff? What, what's going on here? Because like they're doing this debate, but there's no there's no election. It's 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 so weird. Like, you know, they're all, they, they, you know, they're all in their Bermuda shorts and tourist t-shirts and stuff. And then there's, there's no Disney world. What are they doing up there? The whole thing is bizarre. Um, so we're going to talk about, uh, all of 
those things. So, but let's let's start out, Kate. Uh, what is the what is the latest on what is happening on Capitol Hill? You know, it's funny because there's been a new movement, but nothing has changed. Um, sorry, one sec. Is is my line moving for you guys? My audio line because it's just. Like, I see it line. I see it do? moving. Yeah. Okay, yeah. then it's just flat for me. Um, okay. So the funny thing about it is there's been quote unquote movement, but nothing has changed since we talked about this last. So kind of the latest is after just the complete collapse in the house last week where they couldn't pass, you know, the the procedural stuff that always passes um, when Matt Gates, speaker of the house kind of said, you know, we're not going to pass any kind of continuing resolution. McCarthy was like, okay, we'll go back to passing these individual spending bills, which is like, Terrific. I mean, that that does nothing for the shutdown, passing bills that even if you can kind of force them through the House, dead on arrival in the Senate. So meanwhile, the Senate has used, you know, a, a kind of miscellaneous House vehicle because these kind of bills have to originate in the House to do a relatively clean CR on the Senate side, pass that and hand it back to the House. And as of like last night, this morning, um, McConnell and Schumer kind of came to an agreement. They would pass this mostly clean CR. It would fund the government until November 17th. Um, and it would give about like $6 billion each to... Um, Ukraine is part of it. There's sorry, some more Ukraine. Check, check in the number. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. $6 billion each to Ukraine and disaster relief funding. So a pretty bare bones kind of thing. The usual kind of spending item that it's easy for everyone to vote for, right? And basically they're ignoring all of this. There needs to be more cuts, that whole kind of, that whole drama. They're just not even getting into that. It's a it's a clean CR with the addition of things that at least in the Senate, most people agree on. So it's all good and whatever. Exactly. Now the problem is I am really, I don't think there's any CR that could pass the house with this posture right now, because Gates has basically just said, like, we're not doing a CR. So, and he's got enough people in his kind of burn it all down caucus that they can say no to anything, including this really kind of anodyne, unobjectionable bill. Um, you know, they'll probably stake their opposition to this one in the Ukraine funding, but that's not what it's really about. They are just kind of dead set on a shutdown. They've got the numbers to force it. So now the Senate's going to do what they've largely been doing throughout, with the exception of the kind of Ron Johnson hiccup, which is acting like adults, you know, collaborating on a CR, making it really easy, simple, palatable. They passed just a, the just a small technical question. Mm -hmm. Is there any significance to November 17th? Is there something happening on that day that think, is significant or what what's that about? I think the about? idea is that it's just before Thanksgiving, so people will feel pressured to get something done so they can go home for the holiday. So it sets up a a sort of uh, favorable pressure for the next shutdown exactly. drama, basically. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, and they passed the procedural rule to kind of advance that legislation by a, a huge lopsided majority. So as of now, unless we get another kind of Ron Johnson-esque hissy fit, it seems pretty clear that the CR will pass the Senate. And then you've got pressure on the House, right? Because here's a way out of the shutdown. Like if, if you approve this, the shutdown will be averted. But the same dynamics that have persisted throughout this process exist now, which is 
to pass that, it would have to be the kind of sane House Republicans plus House Democrats, and that would existentially endanger McCarthy's job. So he just hasn't been willing to kind of turn to the only, genuinely the only off-ramp to either averting the shutdown or opening the government back up post-shutdown, which is going to have to include House Democrats. And he you know, very well may not be able to weather that storm. So, okay. So just for our listeners to understand here, all of this really comes down to, you know, when you say posture, it's a shutdown. There's no way out of it. As long as Kevin McCarthy is not willing to entertain the possibility of a coalition of most of Republicans or half of Republicans, a lot of Democrats, it's like he is. We're in this as long as he will only do it with Republicans only. Right. A, and then the second point is, and this is the point I, I've been hitting on in a few pieces I've written and like you know various jabbering on social media, is that this is not. A case where the House is saying, all right, here's our bill where we cut everything forever or, you know, abolish the Department of Education or these kind of like, you know, extreme bills. And now it's a matter of like, you know, take our bill, you know, take it or leave it. We're willing to do a shutdown. You Senate, softies, Biden, whatever. They are not able to even pass anything. So it's not even, this is not in any, meaningful sense, a a fight, a standoff, a game of chicken between the House and the Senate. This is just happening inside the House. They're not even passing anything. And I and I, I know I've I have um sort of I'm kind of a, a broken record, but that's so astounding that that's happening. Like they don't even, they can't even come up with their, to the extent that we are having a standoff between different branches of government or different houses of Congress, they're not even able to come up with their position to have a standoff on, right? which is extraordinary. Kind of the bigger question that we're starting to approach is, will House Democrats kind of demand concessions from McCarthy to bail him out, you know, whether that be on the motion to vacate, you know, the attempt to, to oust him from the speakership or, um, you know, some kind of uh, legislation to reopen the government. Like he at that point would need them. And House Democrats, right. like Democrats across the board, are still really, really pissed at him for reneging on the debt ceiling agreement, like in, in the days after. And you saw that in a really pointed way where it, McCarthy's kind of latest flailing gambit was, you know, well, if Joe Biden would just like come to the negotiating table with me, we could figure something out. And everyone's like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, absolutely not. You know, this is the guy who you just screwed over weeks ago, you know, after he did come to the negotiating table and do good faith and all that kind of stuff. So the real question is, and are, you're not even mentioning impeachment. Yeah, totally. He's he's pushing this impeachment thing, kind of like, which is like, top of the list of what House Democrats are kind of mulling, what they would need in in exchange for their support. Maybe that would include dropping the faux impeachment thing. You know, you make a really good point, and I think that 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 I have heard too little. I, I people are not making this point, and it's so important that whether or not. 
he makes a deal or or just concedes to reality now to prevent the shutdown, at some point the shutdown has to end. And it is, and he'll need them then. So at some point he needs to he needs to figure something out with Democrats because I mean, just to for our listeners to kind of walk you through this, the Freedom Caucus types are going to demand a level of cuts, which again, good point, bringing up the fact we're here because they broke the last agreement, uh, at least the spirit of the agreement, if not the the, letter, the binding letter of the agreement, that's a whole other story. Um, they're going to demand something that the Senate will never agree to and the White House will never agree to. So whether you whether you kind of bite that bullet now pre-shutdown or to end the shutdown, you're going to have to do it. There's there's no way out of this straitjacket. Right. So how did let me ask you this. It, do you have more of a I mean one of the things that I've seen more discussion of uh over the last week is that this shutdown could have real economic um you know it could really damage the economy and that isn't just a big deal because you know you, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot or cut your own leg off or something like that but that obviously has real political implications for the democrats right we're kind of all the freak out about Joe Biden being 157 years old and all this kind of stuff that the economy is by some measures doing very well inflation down but it it all still remains um you know sort of tentative and could go either way and that have has really big political implications do you have more of a sense now where are democrats on this in uh, house and senate democrats where are they on this in terms of are they are they basically willing to say, hey, we don't want to shut down, but like if you dudes want to do it, whatever, since you're doing it and everybody's going to blame you? Or are they are they are they worried about the economy? Where are they? What, 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 what posture are they in? Definitely more in that first bucket. It's interesting. Um, Elizabeth Warren's the only person who brought up to me that political angle. You know, she she was like, House Republicans are shutting down the government because they think it'll help. Trump win the election, which is a piece of this that really hasn't gotten talked about in some ways because I don't think that this section of the House Republican caucus necessarily needs a motive to do what they're doing right now, like kind of breaking right. the government is in their DNA, whether or not there's um, you know an additional calculation. But yeah, they, they've maintained that posture from the beginning. And now you've got this kind of additional piece of the Senate being like, we are literally doing everything we can to avert a shutdown right now. And it's just, and you know, you're, you're hearing this from Democrats and Republicans. It's why I was kind of flabbergasted. There was this morning consult poll out this week that showed in the aggregate, a third of people would blame House Republicans for a shutdown. And then when you combine the people who would blame Biden and House Democrats, it approaches 50%, you know, which is just... I think that's if there's a concern from Democrats, it's that there are so many people in this country who don't pay any attention. And there's a concern that they'll just kind of blame the president. But I think right. anyone 
you know, who's paying any kind of attention. There are just, the White House has been like blasting out these memos. There's just endless list of quotes from Republicans saying, you know, it's it's these guys, it's this clown troop in our caucus, and that's not conservative Republican and Republicanism and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's almost similar positioning where they are with the Biden impeachment thing, which is pretty confident that it'll backfire, pretty confident that people will understand that this is just kind of vindictiveness post-Trump and, and there's no there there. But you don't want this kind of stuff in the headlines on the on because there's some segment of the of the electorate who will just read the headline or who will just hear there's a government shutdown or Biden's being impeached and kind of draw their own conclusions from that. Yeah, I mean, I I've some I've recently had some questions about morning consult polls in general, their methodology, which is another question. Um, I don't. Th- I think it's it's um, I think it's very unlikely that Democrats will get blamed for this shutdown. I think Republicans will get blamed for it. I think the so, question the, the question though is is how much that matters. And I think what we saw, and this was, you know, uh, this I think this was by design in the Obama years that um, Republicans would do these hostage takings, do these shutdowns, all these different things. Um, they knew that in some short-term sense, they would kind of take the hit in the headlines, but they were always careful to do it not on the eve of an election. And they also knew that they would benefit more from the general sense of nothing works, nothing, the government doesn't work. And in the case of the, you know, political economy of the 2011, 12, 13 era, that if we force a lot of spending cuts and and damage the economy, Obama's president. So kind of like, yeah, in this short-term sense, there's a lot of headlines and you'll see some, you know, kind of short-term polls that we suck. But at the end of the day, it's the president's fault. And so kind of it's all gravy for us. It's it's kind of all good. And, you know, th- these uh, – in that larger sense, I think it is, you know – I, I I think it's unclear, um, but I do, do we now? I think it's worth remembering that uh, you know six months ago, it seemed or five months ago, it seemed kind of clear that we were about to have either a debt default or some sort of like quasi debt default. You know, it seemed like that was happening, and then. All of a sudden, there's like a, a deal, and and a lot of us, including myself, was just incredulous. Like, wow, how how did this happen? So when is what is the drop dead date here? It's like Saturday. Mm-hmm. Okay, and is that in this case is that a date that is um, there's there's not as in the case with. The default issue, this kind of question. Well, we we don't know exactly when the money's going. It's just a date thing. That's the law. It stops on that date, just so there's no question about it. The end of the fiscal year, yeah. Right. So okay, so we have two or three days, mm-hmm. and the Senate has queued this up, where they're basically saying, "Here, you know, just pass this, and this all goes away." Mm-hmm. Just like 
simple. There's no, no, whatever. I suspect they might even be willing, like if, if somehow the house people came back and said, okay, we'll do it. Just, we can't do that $6 billion of Ukraine stuff. That's the kind of thing I, I suspect the people in the Senate and the white house would just go, okay, like, let's just, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, so your read is that they're, doesn't at least seem like we're going to get that kind of cat, you know, pull pull something out of a bag at the last minute. Yeah, I mean, that's the weird part of the situation, which it's been throughout. If McCarthy was kind of willing to pass another must-pass piece of legislation, mostly on the backs of House Democrats, the shutdown could be averted. You know, I think we're still out far enough that there's enough time to, you know, jump through the kind of procedural hoops um, of, of passing legislation. So there's a chance of that. But you had last night, McCarthy announced this big, um, you know, press availability for like 7pm last night. Um, and, you know, we're kind of making our coverage plans and everything. And then it's just, you know, he's out there crowing about passing, not even the bills, just passing the rule to pass the bills <laughs> of this like handful of appropriations bills that they're going to try to pass out of the House that, again, are dead on arrival in the Senate. And it's like- And it's, it's also just like a third of them. Right. It's not even, it's not even most of them. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's like so, and again, li- you know, dear listeners, I, I, I know I'm a broken record, but like, <laughs> they're not even- you know they're passing what three out of twelve? I mean, it's 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 uh, it, it it's it's just uh, absurd. I I don't. Um, here's the other thing I think is worth, and I know you know this, but I think for our listeners is that you know we hear these things like what would what would it take for the Democrats? What would they need? Um, you know, would they need for him to you know unbreak the agreement he broke in May? Um, would they need him to kind of un un pre impeach Joe Biden, you know, to basically give him the votes to sustain his speakership? But what's clear is is that the second the second his speakership relies on Democratic votes, he is done. He is a hundred percent done in a way that he's probably not ever going to be done from the Freedom Caucus. That is just the kiss of death, and the idea that he would pull back this impeachment inquiry he would even 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 like uh that one dude from Nebraska is it Nebraska was where's that where's that one guy uh, bacon I can't remember the That's right. Uh, yeah, from even the most, you know, moderate they would all say he's done. He's it, it that is just all the kiss of death. So so um you know, who yeah, knows? And it just, that's where we've been for weeks and that's where we still are. It's just the, the two realities of McCarthy maintaining his speakership and either averting or getting, you know, reopening after a government shutdown. Those two things are just in direct contradiction. It, it really seems that you can't have both unless, you know, he could do something to kind of make the Matt Gaetzes back off and maybe getting the shutdown would be enough for them, but it, it really doesn't seem like it. And it's, we're just, we're seeing in real time that it is nearly impossible to satisfy a group of people whose main driving, you know, the the carrot to all their action is attention. So they're just going to keep doing what gets them attention and threatening 
the leader of their own party's gavel is dramatic and exciting and a motion to vacate has never been successful. It's barely been tried, um, you know, leaving the the copies of the pre-drafted statements in bathrooms. I mean, this is what they live for. And McCarthy has been encouraging them for years. And this is what you get. Now, is, is, is there is there still some uh, cleavage or fracture between the sort of the Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, you know, uh, the, those types and like Jim Jordan and uh, Marjorie Green, like w- w- the way it was in the speaker thing mm-hmm. and in where, where they're kind of like on, you know, kind of taking a different position, a more a more uh, transactional position, or is that just they're kind of on board with this gate stuff as much as he is? I think ultimately there would be because Jordan and Green in particular have been so empowered by McCarthy in a way that I think they probably have some gratitude about. You know, Jordan has his big committee. Green had been cast out to the hinterlands, and now she's kind of being an an important quasi-member of leadership now. And, And that's not uniform. I mean, we did, Green voted against the kind of procedural move to advance the defense bill, which ended up collapsing and being really embarrassing for McCarthy. So it's not 100% of the time. But I I think if push came to shove, they would probably be on his side. He's, you know, he's done more for them than the gates Bober caucus anyway. You know, he's not fighting with Marjorie Taylor Green in bathrooms. So some some loyalty on that front, I think. Right, right, right. Okay. So what about What's the story? What's the latest on the Menendez thing, the non-scandal scandal? Since last you wrote, um, the real, the only change has been more, 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 more. Like the, it was kind of, it was led by John Fetterman, right? He was the first one who called on him to resign over the weekend and he was out there by himself for a while. But what we were kind of thinking is they come back on, they came back Tuesday evening the second they step foot in the Capitol complex, there are going to be microphones shoved in their face and everyone's going to say, should he resign? So as the hours kind of ticked down to that deadline, more and more statements came out. Mo- after Fetterman, it was kind of led by uh, people who were up in vulnerable seats. Like you had Tester, you had Brown, you had Jackie Rosen in Nevada. Those kind of came at the forefront. And then the right. biggest one was Cory Booker from New Jersey, who is... Um, a good friend of Menendez who considers him a mentor, who is a character witness in his defense in the first corruption trial. Oh, I didn't realize. I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have quite a sense of the nuances of the, of their relationship. Yeah. Cause my, cause my general sense here is that certainly in one thing I, I explained in a post that probably some of our listeners uh, read is that, you know, uh, Two and a half days or three days ago, whenever it was, uh, the sort of the, you know, his dam was holding in D.C. He had he had Fetterman and Brown, um, but but no one else. Schumer was basically saying he can, you know, in so many words, he can stay. So kind of everything looked pretty good. But back in New Jersey, everybody had 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 basically shivved him like instantly Mm -hmm. democratic you know the democratic governor uh the democratic heads of the of the state uh you know state house or state assembly and state senate uh the head of the democratic party and in new jersey i mean it's a fairly corrupt state right (laughs) and county chairs have a lot of juice in that state And, and 
there there are issues about how you know wh- who gets placed where on primary ballots and stuff like that. So you really need the you 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 really need the endorsements of the county chairs or the support of the county chairs to win a primary. Even if you're an incumbent, it's it's important. And like within a day, I think ten out of twenty one of them had had called on him to resign. So I mean, it was just a bloodbath back in New Jersey. And now it's a blood, basically a, a bloodbath um, in DC. And when I looked at that, the thing that jumped out to me is like, this guy does not have any friends. Because you don't need to, you know, the county chair of such and such county in New Jersey, uh, th- that per- first of all, it's not an elected position. So that person's like, oh, I'm up for re-election. I can't, I can't be defending Menendez. That's not how it works. So like, it it just seemed like a lot of people were just fine saying like, fuck him. I'm done here. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a stink on this guy for years, you know, especially ever since the first one, um, you know, his first kind of corruption (laughs) trial. Um, But there's always been, I think, that sense about him that people always kind of knew he was pretty crooked. Um, And when you see it, you know, when you kind of extrapolate from the details in the indictment, the idea that he had the sword of Damocles hanging over him last time and escaped by the skin of his teeth, thanks to a hung jury, and then started up this shit again less than a month after he got off. I mean, that takes a certain kind of personality type, a certain kind of arrogance about your safety in this world to operate that way that I think probably trickles down into his behavior on a more kind of day-to-day basis. Um, You know, as far as the friendship stuff goes, Booker is the first person who I've seen a lot of about their relationship. But I think you also just get to a place where if you're like a rank-and-file Democrat who doesn't have any extraordinary connection to this guy. It's like, are you going to be one of the holdouts? Are you going to be one of the people being like, no, I I think he should stay. I mean, most of them don't want that kind of attention. Most of them honestly don't want to be anywhere near this whole situation. They probably kind of wish that he would just disappear and get replaced with like Andy Kim or something. Um, So it's, it is funny. It's such a game of momentum in Congress. You know, as soon as you have a critical mass, everyone else is going to jump off the cliff as well. So as not to be singled out by their, you know, reluctance to go with the crowd. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's also the case and it's hard to kind of think about how to capture this, but if this were like, um, you know, Elizabeth Warren and obviously it's not random that it's not Elizabeth Warren, but I'm just saying in the sense of, Elizabeth Warren is a big name. She's associated with a lot of big ideas that people care about tremendously. She is just a big institution in the Senate, right? People who um, have never had never heard of Bob Menendez know about Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, um, a whole list of you know uh, Sherrod Brown in his own way. There's lots of people. Uh, there who people might say like, wow, it looks bad, but like, ah, this is a, this is an important person. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like, you know, close the book on them. I'm going to let them do it themselves. You know, that, 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 that sort of thing. And 
I, I just, what is Bob Menendez associated with that people know anything about or care about outside the state of New Jersey? And that's not necessarily, that's, there are other senators who are, you know, doing a good job and they're not well known out of their state, but it, it's just, he's, 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 he doesn't have any of that. And even, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole Al Franken thing, but obviously there were, there are lots of Democrats rightly or wrongly who are still pissed that he was run out of the, you know, run out of the Senate because he was Al Franken and all the different, you know, stuff that was, um, uh, involved in that. And I, you know, you made the point, but I still can't get over the fact of how how is it you could not keep your nose clean after you came so close, not only to ending your career, but ending up in prison. That really, I mean, A, it is a, a profound arrogance, but I mean, man, you must be seriously corrupt. It's, it's like being a heroin addict or something. Like you could not, you could not give it up. I know. I mean- Part of what I think is also causing this response is just, my God, does the indictment have him dead to rights or what? This is just the indictment. You know, this is not, you know, as we've all gotten so knowledgeable about indictments, the prosecutor doesn't have to lay out the kind of nuts and bolts of the argument. It's just supposed to be the broad strokes. And here you've got, you know, the photos of his his monogram jackets stuffed with his money. You've got the gold bars. You've got a, a really extensive paper trail from from texts, you know, going back and forth about this stuff. Um, you know, him posting the new convertible he'd gotten as a bribe. It's just they've got so much there that I think the kind of common understanding is there's just no way he wiggles out of this one. And as you say, without the any institution of the Senate stuff, you know, his kind of biggest realm is he was chair of foreign relations before this happened. So it's more an, an international sphere. And progressives in that world don't like him because he's pretty hawkish for a Democrat. So and, even and very if, hawkish on the Cuban embargo, right, which, right. which a lot of people for so good even reason if don't you like. Kind of going to maybe get the the nerdy foreign affairs guys, you don't have them either. So your your pool of support is so small, it looks almost certain like he's going to go down for this. And so then you're left with the obvious conclusion, which is like, what's politically beneficial here? Is it to stick with this guy until he either gets walloped in a primary or, you know, gets taken out in handcuffs? Or is it better to keep the really important campaign distinction very clear, which is Democrats condemn Trump's criminality and they condemn the criminality, you know, the alleged criminality of one of their own. Make sure there's no fuzziness that that Republicans can't say you guys are just as bad as we are. And then, you know, put your weight behind, you know, whether it be Andy Kim or anyone else who's going to vote the Democratic way 100 percent of the time and, you know, get to keep the moral high ground in the process. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's. Uh, it, it just seems to me that it's not even like, from what I know of that state, and I know a bit about it. I lived there for a number of years, and I and I follow the politics of the state relatively closely. It you, it's never a a a a, a kind of a slam dunk to defeat an incumbent in a primary, but I think this is close. 
because again, it's it's he's a very powerful person in the state, or was a very powerful person in the state. Although the fact of how the entire sort of democratic political machine abandoned him at a dime says he's actually not very powerful, or this destroyed his power. Um, and just the way that state works, if you lose all of the sort of the county chairs, the sort of the that are the uh, the you know the bedrock of of the political machine in in that in that state, um, you're 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 toast. And it's not, you know it it there was uh, you know Bill Bradley um, was the senator from New Jersey for many years, and people like Bill Bradley, John Corzine, you have people who who um, who are successful politicians in that state, and they're not like machine guys in the way that Menendez is. Um, and maybe they, maybe someone like that could, you know, sort of defy the machine in the way that Menendez would have to do. But those people aren't machine people. They have, you know, like Bill Bradley was just a kind of a, a New Jersey institution. He had a public constituency. But I don't think Menendez has any any of that. He's a machine guy. And if the machine abandons you, you're done. Yeah. And then I, I'm sure this race will become crowded, but kind of right now in these early days, it's just Andy Kim who who's declared. And the contrast just works so much in Kim's favor because Andy Kim is one of these kind of famous congressional nice guys, like a guy that everyone likes that his staff like loves and has a lot of loyalty to. And then it's, you know, what are our biggest kind of as far as this goes, like nationwide images of Andy Kim. It's, if you know of him, it's probably because you saw the picture of him on his hands and knees cleaning up the Capitol after January 6th, taking a trash bag around, which is... I forgot that was him, but I remember those, I remember those images. Pretty yeah. lovely. And I remember that being very um, emotional, gut punchy in the kind of aftermath of that. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, which got shared all over Twitter, is that he put um, a giant Lego set of the Millennium Falcon on his wedding registry <laughs> and his wife didn't approve. So he promised he would wait to build it until they had children. So 10 years later, <laughs> they built this big Lego thing. Um, so, you know, it's just everything about it looks bad for Menendez. He's he's not kind of famous enough or important enough or beloved enough to weather something like this. And to be honest, I'm not sure anyone would be. The details here are just so damning. The fact that Everyone pretty much thinks that he did it before too, but kind of got off on a technicality. I saw Lawrence O'Donnell uh, tweeting that he like wouldn't have Menendez on a show post the first uh, kind of corruption thing because <laughs> everyone kind of thought that he did it. So all those things conflate into the and and then the easiest kind of political and emotional answer are the same, right? Like, why in this cycle, which is going to be so challenging, would you put your scant resources and time behind defending a guy who probably won't make it out of the primary? And if he did, would endanger an extremely safe blue seat. So there's just... There are there are no incentives, kind of on any level, personal, professional, what have you, that that keep him politically alive here. The the one thing that occur, I mean, the only caveat I would say to what you've said about like you know the kind of the certainty of his guilt is that well two things one is you know you only need one juror right to 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 hang a jury although 
in his defense, his his last jury where he got off was hung in the opposite direction. Uh, I believe it was documented that he had ten for acquittal and two mm-hmm. for two for a conviction, which is a little you know is not interesting, not one holdout. Um, and I would say that the the other trial was the other indictments were, as I understand this new one, significantly less damning. It was that one was kind of like you've got this kind of sugar daddy, um, you know, contributor friend who takes you on vacations and, you know, buys you presents and you do favors and kind of that the the Supreme Court has made it pretty challenging to win those cases just in the in the um, while they're engaging in that behavior themselves. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And that one was largely, although not exclusively, you know, the cash aspects of it were campaign contributions. And that's different from Mm -hmm. money, you know, kind of money in your pocket. Um, So this one is 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 much more damning. Um, And but, it, you know, again, maybe he could get off. But when he says kind of like, you know, wait to hear the whole story, I, I said in a post, like, how, how innocent could you be here, Bob? Like, okay, maybe you beat this. And maybe there's a legal argument that like, that the prosecutors haven't quite lined this up so that you need to go to jail. But like, just the, like I don't care if you you need to go to jail. Like this is just not acceptable behavior for a United States senator. And and like unless unless I mean one thing, and I'm I'm curious if you've heard any scuttlebutt about this. He made what just seems like an absurd claim in that press conference, where he said the reason he's got hundreds of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash in his house is because of his Cuban heritage. And you know, you never know when a Castro is going to take over, and you gotta flee the country, or the banks are going to be nationalized. And you're like, dude, come, come the fuck on, dude. Love that vote of confidence from a U.S. senator. Like, I'm just <laughs> keeping this here in case our government collapses. You never know. <laughs> well, there's there's two things. Is that you know his family uh, left Cuba under Batista, who's the guy that Castro overthrew. I mean, not that. You know, we don't want to sort of overinterpret it and get too technical here. Um, and Batista was not a great guy, to put it mildly. Um, but the other, what I was struck by is, like, let's assume for the sake of conversation that he's just kind of like a Fox News hoarder waiting for the doomsday and you know, kind of gold bars in his house for for Armageddon. You would have. If you're withdrawing twenty thousand dollars in cash over time, over decades, you're going to have bank records, right? This isn't like some kind of random thing. Like we can't disprove it. He's claiming it. This is documented. You can't withdraw tens of thousands of dollars from a bank or anywhere and not have a record of it. And I guarantee you that you know you don't you don't find out about the investigation for the first time when you get indicted. I mean, A, you find out about it informally, and almost always there are discussions with your lawyers because they want you to plead out. They want you to plead guilty and just and 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 whatever, especially for for uh, public officials. And um, there's going to have been some point where they say, "We found hundreds of thousands of dollars," and man, his lawyer would love to be able to say, "You're not going to believe this." 
but there's this weird thing my client does and here's the bank records and and you know i'm you know if if that's how it if that's the truth the 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 um the prosecutors certainly aren't going to want to go to trial and be embarrassed i mean so like it's it is it is so absurd and yet to your point kate what what else is he going to say yeah i mean it's funny because the closest I got to being a prepper is that I like always kind of I I kind of like the idea of keeping your money in like coffee cans under your bed because I was like really into the Great Depression when I was in second grade and I think that kind of sewed a lifelong distrust that's so, that my that's, stuff that's, that's so nerdy that that's my so stuff nerdy. is yeah. safe in a bank yeah um, yeah but you know he didn't even really have the wherewithal to like extend that argument to the gold bars. You know, the gold bars went unaddressed or like, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Right. I have a, you, we have a story coming reserve judgment or like what, yeah. you know, is the bends also to help you escape the collapse of the regime? I mean, it, there's just, there's so much here. And the thing is, you know, corruption cases are infamously hard to prove, especially in the U.S., where we kind of have legalized bribery in a lot of places. You know, we have such thanks to the Supreme Court with the complete hollowing out of campaign finance law. I mean, that's legalized bribery. You know, there's a reason people want to get these certain people in office. But you've got the cash and the pockets. You've got the gold bars. You've got the car. You've got the job for his wife where it's explicitly stated that she won't have to do any work. You know, you've got him leaning on the person at the agricultural department who's trying to break up the halal monopoly. You know, you've got him trying to put his uh, his weight behind getting a, a certain kind of prosecutor position filled in New Jersey with someone that he thinks will be pliable. There's just like, and this is just the indictment. Again, this is not the full score scope of what they have. And there are like 10 different webs that all kind of interconnect to show very clearly that he's, you know, trying to carry water for these, uh, you know, Egyptian people and trying to funnel them money and funnel them weapons. And these are all the kickbacks. It's just, it's easy to understand. If there's one thing this year has taught me, it is the sheer power of photos and indictments, because that is what people remember. And that's what people hang on to. And in this one, it's just, from this early point, it doesn't even seem close. And if it was close, you would have thought that when we heard him at his press conference, he would have offered up more of a defense than, you know, I'm a, I'm a low grade prepper. <laughs> right. Right. It, yeah, it is. Uh, well, I suspect, I suspect, and what I think will happen and, and Andy Kim has an opportunity if he plays his cards right, because, um, there's certain, you know, New Jersey is one of the, you know, New Jersey is like New York in the sense of like lifetime senatorships mm -hmm. for Democrats, same way it is in most Southern states for Republicans. Um, you know, these things only come open, you know, once in a generation. So kind of, there's lots of people who would like that, uh, gig, but, but Kim is the one who is put his, you know, kind of put his hat in there now. And when he, when he did it, it was still kind of ballsy, mm -hmm. right? It was, it was before everybody had done this. And that's kind of, that's, you know, if now it kind of seems like, how could, it, how could you go wrong? He's so guilty. But when it, 
when he did that, that was kind of that's more than saying re- resign. That's like I'm giving up my seat because you suck so bad. I'm gonna I'm gonna run for Senate. And now though, one of the one of the ways that the uh, sort of power players in New Jersey and in DC can sort of push this forward is if those county chairs saying, I'm for Andy Kim. So kind of like if there's any question you have here about maybe I'm going to endorse you later, or maybe 10 people are going to get into this primary and you're going to kind of get, you know, get renominated with 20% of the vote. No, we're all getting together around Andy Kim. So you're done. The only question now is whether you, you know, see the writing on the wall and, 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 and um, depart with some dignity. I mean, I would expect and the way these things normally play out is the person tries to slip by with saying they won't run for re-election to not have to resign, that that's going to sort of, um, you know, relieve the pressure and it might relieve the pressure because like if he's not running and everybody's saying resign, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, Democrats are going to say like, you know, <laughs> he should resign, but I mean, we can't, we can't tackle him and make him like sign a resignation statement. So kind of it is what it is. But, uh, you know, I think, I think the point is he's always been crooked and everybody's kind of always known he was crooked. Um, but knowing and seeing the evidence is different and considering that he got caught so red handed, I, that's one of the reasons why everybody's kind of like, dude, this is on you. I mean, you know, we, we kind of, cut you some slack, but there's too much. Yeah. And we have to get to our other couple things, but I just wanted to add real quick that it's kind of stunning the degree to which no Republicans have waded into this fray because in a normal world, you pounce on that, right? You say like, he sucks and all the Democrats harboring him are, are corrupt and a betrayal of you, the people and blah, blah, blah. And like all we basically have so far is Tom Cotton saying, um, you know, he deserves due process and, and Democrats are just doing this out of political advantageousness, which is just, it's really funny that we've gotten so far down this rabbit hole that they they can't really condemn corruption, even if it's in, you know, of one of their enemies, because they're <laughs> harboring so much of it over on their side. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's revealing that that's what now counts as, as Republican trolling. Yeah, <laughs> of saying you're saying you're obviously corrupt people are 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 innocent or 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 you know deserve their deserve their day in court, but there we are. Right. Okay. So let's talk quickly. Um, Trump has been kind of on a tear of late. He has called for um, Milley to be executed after this long Atlantic article came out that was all about kind of you know. It, we've had this genre all throughout the Trump era, but the the adult in the room profile, right, which is about the kind of the people who've had esteemed careers and were well respected and then worked for the Trump administration and had to make a game plan of how to have him not, you know, set off the nukes kind of thing. Um, so we called for his yeah, his execution. He threatened that he's going to take NBC off air if he wins a second term Um and this stuff has been happening kind of alongside when we got this Washington Post ABC poll that had Trump up by 10 points, which even in the, you know, the meat of the story, when they released the poll, they said, you know, this seems to be an outlier kind of compared to the national average. But 
predictably, it's done the the two prong work of making everybody you know freak out about uh, Biden's electoral uh, chances, and also kind of rebringing up this conversation we've been having since 2015, and that has never really stopped, which is how to cover Trump, how media outlets fail in the coverage of Trump. Now we're in kind of the micro cycle of he's called for this guy to die and called to take NBC off the air. And it's not at all major news. It's kind of getting that treatment, the the unsaid taciturn treatment of like, well, Trump's nuts, you know, that he says what he says kind of thing. And, and just treating it as more of a, a sideshow than anything to be taken seriously or to be covered with any kind of like reporting might. Um, so yeah, what do you think about that? The, the twists and turns of the the Trump narrative this past, you know, week and a half or so? Yeah, I I kind of think of this as the paradoxical but maybe predictable um, effect of the whole don't amplify Trump, don't give him oxygen thing, uh, which is something that I was telling a reader who who actually I I published this email on on the site and think about my res, my response to this reader, um, you know, in the pre-Trump days. We we spent we spent basically the decade before Trump reporting on giving lots of coverage to all the pre-Trumps, the people who ended up being hardcore Trumpers, and really um, presaged what was coming with uh, Trump. And at the time, um, we got a lot of criticism for. These people are just clowns. They don't matter. You're just giving them oxygen. You're making them more important than they are. Well, my sense has always been that we were sort of vindicated paradoxically by Trump because it turns out they were the real people. And it was the John Boehners and um, Eric Cantors that kind of were meaningless. Um, and there's – you've – Long had this idea. I mean, during uh, Trump's presidency, you know, endless criticisms of CNN, like you know, you're you're, um, you know, carrying his speeches live. You're you're you know, giving him, you're making him more powerful by giving him attention. I, I've always thought that was basically misguided, and in some ways, in his post presidency, or maybe in his interregnum. You've had this thing where he's kind of self-exiled to Truth Social, and these things about you know executing Millie or taking uh, Comcast off the air, he he says stuff like this nonstop on 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 Truth Social. It's not, I mean, it may be like you know, maybe eleven relative to the baseline of ten, but it's really not too much different. And what you've had is you, you have this um, you have this dynamic where the channels of communication between him and his supporters are wide open. He talks to them on OAN and True Social, and you know all the little you know Fox indirectly, blah 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 blah. But it's like muffled for everybody else. So I think this this and and then it gets you know kind of remuffled. Um, in the limited mainstream media coverage of these things, because as you, it it gets sort of, 
half both side both sided but also this kind of thing of of you know if this gets a headline in in the new york times although this one case has been sort of an exception it's like you know uh trump super mad trump lashes out at so and so and you're like okay you know they're fighting again and whatever and doesn't doesn't uh get the details and i think that's that is a mistake and it's 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 caused by a lot of different things but i think that there is this um sort of you know goo goo liberal thing about you know don't don't give a don't give them attention you know if we don't look at it it won't exist which has always been just wrong and but i think we're you know seeing some of the upshot of it here yeah and i want to address the poll really quickly um first of all caveat that i think we're so far out from the election that everyone who's kind of freaking out about every poll i think is a little bit a, a waste of energy um it's they're just polls are useful as a, a snapshot of the electorate in the moment and the electorate at this moment is so incomplete that it just barely matters um but the interesting thing here i think is We've now had a series of polls from particularly the Washington Post ABC collab that have shown Trump to be doing better than where kind of the aggregate of the rest of them are. And this is considered, you know, a very kind of high quality poll. Um, they had him up, I think, by three points and then by seven points. And now this new one with 10 points. And it came out alongside um, another poll, which was a, a collab between kind of a Republican outfit and a Democratic outfit. And that one, um, I think, either had them tied or had, had Biden up one or two, which is seems to be more in line with where everything is. And, you know, on the kind of procedural side, if you're a pollster, you don't want to conduct a poll that is an outlier and then just be like, oh, well, sweep that under the rug. You know, we're only going to release the stuff that kind of looks like what everyone else is doing. Right, right, um, right. But I I feel like we put in the keep an eye on category that we've now had a few from this um, this group that have seemed to kind of be weighted a, a little more towards the right, unless they're the only ones who are who are calling it right, and everybody else is wrong. Yeah, I I don't. I'm not particularly concerned about that ten point spread poll because it is so out of line with with all the other polls, and it's also um, uh, dramatically out of line with just recent history. I, I'm I, I'm very confident that's an outlier. The real issue is that we have had over the last month or so, we've had uh, a number of, you know, high quality phone poll type phone and 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 other um, comparable level of reliability uh, methodology polls that have shown the race basically tied. Mm -hmm. You know, you have one that Biden's up one, a lot of them, a lot of them actually literally tied, you know, 46, 46. I mean, I feel like there's been several that are literally 46, 46. Um, that's, that is the story. And that is obviously uh, worrisome. I don't, you know, it's, it's a poll a year out before the election means relatively little, but it doesn't mean nothing. It doesn't mean nothing. And, you know, one of the interesting things, given that we have this debate tonight, is, uh, you know, one of the 
you know, quasi arguments to the extent they have any arguments from uh, Trump's notional challengers is kind of like, hey, the electability, man. Well, it's hard to it's pretty hard to make a, a strong electability argument if if the guy who's unelectable is is tied with the incumbent. And um, those should at least tell us that uh, the fact that he's indicted multiple times has not made him unelectable. I, I think the big picture with all of these polls is that right now, um, the uh, all of these polls tell a common story, and that is high levels of Republican enthusiasm and unity around Trump. <laughs> paradoxical as as it is or or sad as it is and uh on the Biden side a great deal of uh enervation and disillusionment and fracture among democrats uh and you know to a, to a great extent jo- uh Donald Trump right now in these polls is running against the Basically, the um, upset present. You know, do you love what's happening under Biden? And a lot of people say, no, I don't love it. It's not great. Meanwhile, Biden is running against himself. You know, do you do you do you do you love Biden, or would you like someone better? And he's not doing well by that. Uh, you know, by that metric at all. Um, but. There's lots of reasons why, as a as a campaign gets engaged, the people who don't want to see Trump, you know, at a certain point, it's no longer, do you love Biden or would you like a dynamic fifty year old? It's do you want Trump or Biden? And that has a way of of um, you know clarifying people's clarifying people's uh, you know, kind of clarifying the reality of 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 the situation, and and I'm pretty confident that 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 unfolding reality is going to have a big effect over the next twelve months. But but, and this is, I've been saying this for a long time, and a lot of other people have too. The real in in that kind of in that kind of terrain, in that kind of political environment, the real challenge for Biden. Is like Cornell West types and 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 Robert F Kennedy Jr. types and no labels types. Is that you you know if 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 people are in a kind of a foul mood and aren't satisfied with their choices, you you give them these off ramps of third parties and and those can really do Biden in. Um, so you know it's 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 foolish to say those polls don't matter. They certainly don't tell you what it's going to be like in a year. And I think that there are a number of reasons to be cautiously optimistic, but also to kind of like, don't remotely be complacent. There's no, you know, there's there's no question. So let's wrap with a little bit of light debate preview of what our lucky listeners can expect tonight. Um, This is another one of those kind of undercard debates in terms of Trump has gotten very comfortable with not attending and will continue to not attend and actually has gotten a bump in the polls since not attending. So I think we can kind of assume this is going to be his posture for the foreseeable future. I'm honestly 
have no idea if there are going to be general election debates this year or not. Um, if if both camps kind of don't see a point in attending them or don't see a, a political upside in attending. Um, but so for now, it's going to be the the usual cast of characters, a little bit winnowed from last time. And the only person who has at all moved in the polls is Nikki Haley has kind of crept up. Um, but again, like Vivek Ramaswamy's little surge was last time, it's mostly just seemed to come at the expense of Ron DeSantis more than anyone touching Trump's huge lead. Um, and he has dropped to, you know, third and fourth in some of these polls in the first two states. Um, so I, in some ways it's, like you said, it so doesn't matter. This is more of either they're kind of campaigning for a cabinet position or to kind of get their name out there so they can run in 28. Um, it'll be interesting to see if some of the stuff we expected last time that didn't happen happens tonight. Like I think our both of our kind of biggest surprise from last time was Chris Christie's complacency. He didn't really just low go energy. after anyone. Yeah. So yeah. I, I wonder if the kind of, our particular feedback, but the the feedback after that debate will kind of push him to be more aggressive this time. It would be interesting if he is more aggressive to see who he even goes after. Like, who is the second place person you would gun for at this point? I mean, are you going to take Nikki Haley, try to drag her through the mud? Yeah, it's it's I mean, you know, to the extent that Nikki Haley has had a surge, it's like surging into double digits, maybe right. <laughs> kind of. Um, and yeah, I, DeSantis has, I mean, I think he's still the leader in most, I mean, the sub leader, mm -hmm. the undercard leader in most of the national polls, but now he's down to like 15% or even less. And it's just that everybody else is, is so lower. So there, so at this point, there's kind of no point. I mean, he seems, I mean, the support he seems to have is just kind of like, you know, residual inertia. He's the one I've heard of kind of. So it's 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 not even clear who really has any interest in attacking him to kind of get his to get his stuff since he doesn't really have any stuff. Um and so that kind of and he he's just become kind of a a a punchline, but the whole the whole race is a punchline. I, I I do. I mean, the only thing I can think that kind of makes any sense with a Chris Christie is to attack Trump. You know, I, I, again, almost certainly not that it matters, but if you're going to be there, why not? And I think there's there's little question. Um, you know, you'll get a response. Trump's not a guy who like who like, ah, oh, I'm going to, I'm above that. I'm going to let it roll off my, you know, kind of roll off my back. I mean, of course, you know, so you could at least like take a kind of a kamikaze run against him to get into sort of a, a, a thing. But, you know, the one thing that has, that was, that was giving this non-race any sort of, um, you know, any illusion of being a race was Trump's been indicted four times. Do you really want to, you know, are you sure you want to lock that in because he'll lose to Joe Biden? Um, again, I have not, I am, I remain relatively optimistic. 
Um, but certainly there's plenty of evidence for uh, Trump advocates and lickspittles to kind of say like, what do you mean unelectable? Like he's winning or he's tied and, 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 you know, and, and we still haven't unified yet. So I don't know, just kind of, you know, kind of who cares and there's no point, but like to the extent there's any point he could at least, I mean, <laughs> Chrissy could at least, um, recoup a little dignity that he, that he had gotten, you know, gained over the summer as the dude who, who completely, you know, shed his, uh, you know, Trump fealty and was really kind of going after him. Now he has sort of the, the worst of both worlds. He's completely, you know, cut his ties with Trump. So he's, he's, um, he's dead to any Trump Republicans. And now the sort of the, you know, the, the, the money guy, the, 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 the billionaire Republicans who, who kind of want someone else and the kind of the people in the, uh, you know, kind of people in the news who, who hate Trump also think he's an idiot because he, 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 um, he choked when he had a chance to do it. He couldn't even take on, he couldn't even take on, uh, DeSantis. Um, so who knows? That's, that's kind of why I was saying at the beginning of this episode, I almost feel like there might be some realization moments, sort of, of kind of like, why are we up here? What, what are we doing? Where's the roller coaster? Like, how, why am I here? What's happening? Yeah, as far as I'm interested in what they'll kind of talk about, I'm interested if they get served up a question about, you know, the shutdown and the behavior of the House Republicans. It'll be like kind of pseudo interesting to see who aligns themselves with Matt Gates and who, uh, you know, tries to be part of the bigger House Republican um, kind of think group. And I think we can probably expect an abortion question because Trump called the Florida six-week ban terrible. Um, And that could be kind of interesting just because Trump is doing his thing where he's making political calculations out loud that everyone is making, but that most people don't do in public. So it'll be kind of interesting to have these more quote unquote traditional politicians in the sense that they wouldn't do that out loud to be faced with that, even though probably the easier off route is going to be like, well, you know, I don't think it's terrible to protect babies and to protect life and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, yeah. it's it's an easy basis for a question. So we'll probably get it. Yeah. Although like, like, as we said, after the last debate, the fact that Mike Pence kind of planted his his flag on the 15 week ban which is which just at every level of politics of the just the calendar of pregnancy is a lot different than 6 weeks i mean it doesn't mean there should be a ban at 15 weeks but you know something like 95 or 96% of abortions take place within the first 15 weeks so that's kind of almost like you, you know, you 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 you've 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 kind of given up the whole thing in 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 some ways. So, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe the the utter lack of suspense will will. Uh, I mean, we're not we're not we're not ginning up a lot of interest for our coverage tonight. I know, you should, right? You should Come definitely, yeah, you should definitely tune in for all the excitement. But um, but look, we're also going to keep it real, and and this is kind of uh, you know, it it's it's really kind of. Republican cosplay 
mm-hmm. right? I, I don't know if there's anything more to it. That said, definitely tune in. That's oh, going to be for a, all the excitement. A ride. Yeah, yeah, come join us. Yeah, come join us. All right. Uh, I guess that's all we have for mm. this week. I think we 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 um, dealt with all the relevant issues, and uh, so. Uh, notwithstanding everything we've said, definitely uh, tune in tonight. We're gonna be we're gonna be doing live coverage of all the exciting developments in the in the Trumpless Republican primary debate, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. I think that's all we got for this week. All right, see you soon. Later. The Josh Marshall Podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga, and TPM founder, editor in chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Janspell for our podcast theme song. And thanks to all of our TPM members who make all of this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen.